morning again. I'm Rick Hansen. Uh, thanks for hanging out for the first 10 minutes or so, letting, uh, letting things settle down a bit and landing and arriving. I'd like to introduce Romy here, uh, who has some announcements. I was not in the room meditating. I was outside. So forgive me while I catch my breath. Thank you, everyone, for being here today. So you woke up and you thought, I know what I'll do. I'll sit with Rick Hansen at Spirit Rock. So thank you, everyone, that decided to register today, maybe as many as 50 of you. We are happy to have you. Um, It's going to be a glorious day, and I have a couple of announcements. Who's new to Spirit Rock and needs to know where the restrooms are located? Lovely. So the restrooms are at the end of the hall on the right. Uh, right next to the bookstore and the space where I work should you have any questions for me throughout the day. The first thing I always like to do is thank the volunteers. I don't see too many of them in here because they're still outside um, helping people come in the room. They're all wearing name tags, so you're welcome to ask the volunteers. They're all seasoned volunteers today, and they're happy to answer your questions. Um, CEs, many of you have signed up for continuing education credits. You should have signed in and received a survey. If you did not do that, I'm going to ask you to go outside and do that now. CE people, don't forget to sign out. Maybe Rick, if he remembers to remind people at end of day, you will sign out, give us your survey, and we'll hand you your continuing education credit certificate. You get six credits today. It is now time to turn off our cell phones. Yay. Thank you for that. If you would like an assisted hearing device, they're in the back of the room and you can pick one up. I have a note here. Rick has a PowerPoint today. If you would like a copy of the PowerPoint via email, he has an email list and you can sign up outside the room. It's on a table with Rick's books, and the books are for sale in the bookstore. Um, Water. It's a warm day, so please don't forget to drink your water. Uh, We have a water bottle filler by the tea area, and also a one outside the restrooms by the drinking fountain. Let me move ahead to lunchtime. At lunch, it's glorious outside, so please feel free to eat in the front of the building. We have a meadow across the way with picnic benches. I'm going to ask you, however, not to go to the upper retreat area. You're welcome to start walking up, and then you'll see a wood fence that says residential retreatants only. They are up there for a month. Silent retreat. No talking. So it's so lovely to respect their space when you get to the wood gate to turn around and come back down here where we are allowed to talk. Um, bells. We started ringing some bells, but there's a lot of you, and it takes a while to get everyone in and out of the room. So when you hear bells ringing, that means it's time to come back to the room, either after lunch or after a break or after walking meditation. This afternoon, you will receive a survey at home to your email address. If you have the time and inclination in the next week or so to fill that out, we'd really appreciate it, and we take all of your Um, thoughts and comments under advisement. And here's the thing at lunchtime. 
We have another group upstairs. It's our teen series. They're having a potluck. So I know there's a lot of us, but at lunchtime, I'm going to ask you to stay downstairs. Okay? I think that's enough rules. Guidelines, guidelines. Suggestions to help you with your day. So happy to introduce Rick Hansen. I presume most of you know about him because you made the good decision to be here today. Thank you. See you at lunchtime. Great. Thank you very much. Ah. Well, this is us today. The Neurology of Awakening. That's a modest title. Um, So what I hope to do with you today... um, is to explore some very fundamental practices that have to do with steadying the mind, and I'll explain what that means in a moment, Uh, drawing on both modern neuroscience and ancient contemplative wisdom. And so in terms of today, I hope to do roughly a third of presentation, a third discussion, and a third experiential practice. Uh, This material uh, tends to be understandably interesting and stimulating, and so I'm going to keep containing the more didactic part of this to preserve uh, experiential practice. Uh, Fundamentally, uh, to kind of borrow a, a, a statement from a a uh, uh, psychoanalyst, uh, Frida Fromm-Reichmann, I'm a therapist, uh, who said that the client, and I think people in general, don't need a new idea. They need a new experience. So I'm going to tend to try to focus on experience here, uh, much as I believe the Buddha did himself. Uh, in terms of the flow, uh, we'll take a fairly short break in the morning and in the afternoon. There'll be a lunch break as well. I'll end extremely close to 5 o'clock. Uh, you're welcome to get up and kind of take a personal break at other times as you like or need, uh, just obviously being aware of other people. Um, I believe it's okay to have containers in here with lids on them. I think they let you eat in here. Uh, We tend to keep this room quiet at lunchtime, but if you can eat quietly, you're welcome to be in here. Uh, Spirit Rock is, for me, uh, my kind of home meditation center. And uh, I live, as the crow flies, about five miles that way, but as the car drives, about 45 minutes that way. But anyway, uh, I love this area. It's a stunningly beautiful area. There are ticks. Uh, Be a little thoughtful about that. There is poison oak. Uh, My kind of rule of thumb is... Don't touch anything, (laughs) you know, because I'm very allergic to poison oak. But anyway, uh, just uh, a a thought for you. But otherwise, you're very welcome to go out. And um, mainly because this is a workshop setting, we'll do, um, when we do practice, we'll tend to sit. But you are very welcome to walk back and forth, let's say, in the back of the room, uh, lie down if you want, go outside during a practice period and just walk around. Just do whatever is really good for you. What what promotes your own development. Uh, as a kind of a small uh, thing, uh, if you start snoring, someone may unbelievably respectfully, uh, believably respectfully, gently tap your foot or something. Uh, just knowing that that might happen tends to prevent that. Uh, and snoring, like anything else, is something moving through the field of awareness. doesn't need to be a big deal. Okay. So this is the workshop. I'm going to dive in. A lot of material. The spirit of the day for me is hardcore. 
I'm going after it. Uh, in a way that I think is accessible, hopefully, for people. As the Buddha said, this should be a path that's good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. So be prepared for kind of full on. Uh, these are being recorded, or what I'm saying is being recorded, and it'll be posted to an organization called Dharma Seed, dharmaseed.org, D-H-A-R-M-A-Seed.org. Um, the... Uh, um, the way you find it is just go to my page there as a teacher, and that's where you'll find it. And uh, you should know that, uh, as an announcement here, if you speak into the microphone, I believe, Jesse, right, your voice will be recorded, and it will be available. So, I, you know, I'm a, train, you know, a therapist, like confidentiality is, like, really in my DNA. So just know that. And if you want to speak with me privately, you're welcome to uh, come up during the breaks and lunch, and, and I'll stick around afterward. Okay. Okay, great. What I'd like to do is lay some foundations here, and then uh, we'll get increasingly into experiential practice. So, as a foundation, I think of practice. The Buddha was interested in what was true, as best we can gather from the discourses that have been handed down to us. Uh, The first surviving written record was probably about 2,200 years ago. He taught around 2,500, 2,600 years ago. Um, As best we gather, he was interested in what was true. He was much more interested in what helped, what worked, what was effective. In other words, in practice. And so I think of practice broadly as like a three-legged stool with three elements to it. Loving, knowing, and growing. And the word in italics, that's from Pali, the language uh, of the early Buddhism. Metta, sati, bhavana. Metta being uh, warmth, compassion, kindness, love, heartfeltness, courage, ardor. Passion, healthy passion. Sati, mindfulness, comprehension, awareness, present moment awareness, stability of presence. And bhavana, healing, developing, learning, growing, moving from states to traits. If you know my work at all, I I use the informal term taking in the good, really learning as we go. So to me, those are three fundamental uh, ways of practicing that work together. Uh, for some people, their three-legged stool is a bit like a pogo stick. Boing, boing, boing. They're really good at one thing. Maybe they've got really good mindfulness, but their heart is cold and they're not learning anything along the way. Maybe, on the other hand, they have tons of metta, tons of love, but they feel scattered, uh, not pulled together, uh, and there's not a, a stabilization over time uh, of who they want to become. Uh, then maybe they're a person who, like me, kind of when I was younger, really caught up in chasing personal growth, but uh, not always doing it for the right reasons. So metta, sati, bhavana, they work together. Okay, And these are themes we'll keep coming back to. Then, as a, another aspect of the foundations here, Three major fields of practice. These are uh, major themes in Buddhism. And this is a Buddhist framework here, and I'll stay inside that framework, also as someone who's a psychologist and a neuropsychologist. So the three classic domains or fields of practice, in other words, where do we uh, uh, love uh, and know and grow? Uh, First in the field of virtue, morality, restraint. 
uh, and the um, un, un, uncovering of natural goodness. We also uh, practice in the field of what's called concentration, or in Pali Samadhi, the development of meditative absorption, the actual training and transformation of consciousness over time. Uh, that increasingly starts feeling like you're no longer in Kansas anymore. Then you know something's really shifting for you. And also, the field of practice includes wisdom, panya in Pali, insight, insight into causes and effects inside your own mind, uh, kind of basic wisdom, you know, when I'm uptight and a jerk, things don't go so well. When I loosen up and take better care of myself and others, things seem to go better. That's a form of wisdom. Uh, recognizing with your partner, in my case, my wife, uh, huh, it's going to go better next time if I do something different. Right? <laughs> wisdom. Uh, and also radical wisdom into the actual nature of experience. The Buddha was interested in content of experience, particularly, uh, you could say, negative emotions, ill will, greed, hatred, clinging, jealousy, envy. But he was especially interested in the nature of all experiences. What's the common nature of hearing, seeing, wanting, loving, hating, the nature of experience as transient, ephemeral, impermanent, made up of many parts, arising and passing away dependently, and lacking an owner or a master screenwriter and director. Ah. And then on the basis of those deep penetrating insights in Pali Vipassana, insight into the nature of experience, increasingly we lighten up about clinging to it and craving and contracting around it and selfing around it because we see fundamentally that that's a doomed and painful strategy, progressively increasingly over time. That's another aspect of of wisdom that we can cultivate over time. Also disenchantment, waking up from the spell, waking up from the enchantment, Oh, stepping out of the bad dream. Oh, and stepping in to the good news fundamentally that was always already true, including our own natural goodness and purity and innocence. Okay, so these are fields of practice. Okay, so far? And then in terms of today, of all this, I'm going to focus on the samadhi or concentration field of practice And we're going to focus particularly on um, steadiness of mind. And the reason for that is that uh, it's the foundation really of everything. Because when we're scatterbrained and all over the place, we just can't really get a grip. And whatever we do doesn't have much traction. Also, uh, this aspect of practice, concentration, the actual training and stabilizing of attention and the capacity increasingly to drop into deeper and deeper uh, states of being, including in everyday life, including, to some extent, particularly with sustained practice, non-ordinary states of consciousness, this element is, in my view, uh, underrepresented in contemplative practice as it moved into the West, although it's found in the East. And um, it's uh, a really 
important thing to develop, certainly as uh, the Buddha and other great teachers have taught. As uh, the quotation says here, concentration is the proximate cause of wisdom. It's the near cause of wisdom. Without concentration, one cannot even secure one's own welfare, much less the lofty goal of providing for the welfare of others. There's a version of this in a quotation from the godfather of American psychology, William James. You may have uh, read or heard this quotation before. As he wrote about 100 years ago, the faculty of voluntarily bringing back a wandering attention over and over again is the very root of judgment, character, and will. No one is compos sui, Latin, compos sui, master of oneself, if one has it not, this capacity. An education which should improve this faculty would be the education par excellence. But it is easier to define this ideal than to give practical directions for bringing it about. That was William James in the Western psychological tradition really saying much the same thing. Uh, he didn't know it at the time, although he did explore you know, varieties of experience, including non-ordinary experience. Um, there's a long tradition of training of attention uh, in the contemplative traditions around the world, not just in Buddhism, uh, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, uh, Jewish, uh, and indigenous people traditions uh, of training of the mind actually do have paths for bringing this about. Uh, The point, though, I just want to underscore from James is the value of stabilizing our attention, being able to rest it where it's useful, disengage it from what's not useful, like ruminations over and over again. We get kind of trapped in the simulator, or I call it the ruminator, doing laps around the track in hell, deepening the track every time we go around it, right? So being able to regulate our attention is very fundamental. And in the Uh, process of that, we feel increasingly like we're coming home. We're coming home to ourselves and resting at home and staying at home. Uh, It's sometimes said that the root of all sickness is homesickness. It's a deeply profound kind of comment. And um, I think a lot of people live in a state of chronic inner homelessness. That's a kind of new normal they take for granted. And in the process of practice, we collect ourselves, we gather ourselves, and we come home. When we come home, sometimes we open doors to rooms that are full of pain. And it's important to go slowly sometimes, and to respect your own needs, and to be careful. Uh, We don't want to open trap doors to really scary, painful things, that we're not quite ready for. Um, I kind of use the metaphor about my own chi- you know, childhood process and as I've worked with it in adulthood of emptying my own bucket of tears one spoonful at a time. Maybe that's all you can do. Touch it, disengage. Touch it, disengage. So as we do practices here that are about self-awareness, generally focused on wholesome, positive, emotionally uh, enjoyable, often qualities of mind, qualities of consciousness. As we do that, if you start to feel uncomfortable or something's not right for you or it's too much, it's really okay to disengage. Open your eyes, move your feet, uh, walk out of the room, just check out. Uh, As our 
daughter's friend said to her in middle school, Laurel, remember your happy place? You know, I'll go to think about Tuolumne Meadows up in Yosemite Park, you know. Just find your happy place. Do what's good for you. There's no pressure in here to go any farther or faster than you're really comfortable with. And actually, kind of paradoxically, when you give yourself permission to step back from things, then it actually makes it easier to step into them. Okay? So... We'll say one more little slide, see if you have any comments, then we'll start moving into some um, practice here. The framework for me as well in this material sits in some new things I'm doing in terms of my own writing. I'm writing another book now, working title, Neurodharma, The Deepest Roots of the Highest Happiness. And I think of seven fundamental processes of awakening that are both... um, methods of awakening and results of awakening that are hopefully good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. And uh, this, these seven are the uh, topics of this book I'm working on and retreats I'm starting to teach now. And just to kind of say it, and I think we can all feel each one of the seven probably, certainly the first six, um, steadying the mind, that'll be our main focus here today. But it's in relationship with warming the heart. Resting in fullness, having a sense of enoughness already, resting already in a kind of basic quality of all rightness and contentment and and love. Enjoying wholeness, accepting ourselves wholly and opening awareness out to the edges of consciousness, just going out to the sense of the body as a whole. I'll be doing some practices with you a little later this morning about that. And taking mind as a whole. Receiving nowness, coming as closer and closer and closer to the immediacy of the front edge of now, transient and endlessly renewed right there. Whoosh. Receiving nowness, opening into allness, starting to have more of a felt sense of what we know to be true that we are all local expressions of everything. We are local patternings, local eddies in the stream of reality locally, with our own individuality and radically entwined with everything else, opening into allness. And then, to the extent it interests you, finding timelessness, engaging what the Buddha taught is a sense of the unconditioned, that which is not subject to arising and passing away. If you care to stop at the first six, fine. And the Buddha stressed, and others have as well, that there really is something transcendental, something that's categorically and meaningfully distinct from the extraordinariness already of the natural universe. Uh, he described it mainly in the phrase of, in the language of negation, unconditioned, not conditioned, uh, deathless, not subject to arising and passing away. Others uh, have a sense of other attributes, perhaps, of timelessness, such as consciousness or love or even personality. I'm not going to try to argue for the existence of the transcendental. I'm just kind of including it, as the Buddha did, among the seven. So you might find yourself, as you explore steadiness of mind, um, interested in these other aspects of, in my view, awakening, which include warming the heart, resting in fullness, enjoying wholeness, receiving nowness, and uh, 
opening into allness and finding timelessness. Okay. All right. That's my foundation. I'm not screwing around here. Uh, I might be screwing around, but I I don't know what. But anyway. uh, Okay. Any questions or comments so far? And when we do questions, if you could, we'll do it through a microphone so everybody can hear you and I don't have to repeat. If you raise your hand, I'll call on you. Then the uh, two volunteers with microphones will will find you. Uh, I'm going to steer clear of philosophy. I'm much more interested in practice. Like, how does this relate to your own practice? Okay. Any questions or comments so far? Great. In the back there, please. Right there. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Um, my work is in public health and particularly um, bringing mindfulness into trauma-informed systems. Moving, the, this is huge, the institution yeah. <laughs> towards becoming a healing organization. And I wanted to presence that for you that if there's anything that you think ding you, me, should pay attention to this, that you could um, could just bring attention to that because this whole notion what you said earlier about touching those rooms of pain trauma and being gentle and emptying that room of tears one spoonful at a time so that was a big aha for me around that Mm. and just how to um, speak about it be about it um, as as I'm doing this work for myself and on behalf of this larger calling if you will thank you very much thank you Yeah. a couple quick things about that Um, let's see well, first, um, on my website, rickhanson.net, I have lots and lots of resources there, including Drawing on the Wisdom of Others. And recently we did um, a resilience summit with, uh, in partnership with the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley, uh, where I'm a senior fellow, kind of a institutional home. And one of the presenters was Nadine Burke-Harris, who's a wonderful uh, physician who's really pioneered uh, effort to deal with what are called ACEs, Adverse Childhood Experiences, as you know. And so there's a, that's, that's among many other resources there. So first off, there are a lot of good resources there and, and kind of portals into other people who really specialize in this area in, in ways that I, that I don't. Um, second, uh, my own personal opinion, sitting in a life of, with a fair amount of privilege in it, as well as some pain, is that it's easy sometimes to relate to material like I've talked about so far or is sometimes available, let's say, more generally in self-help or personal development as, as sort of like frosting on the cake of life. You know, when you really have it together and you can spend a week at yoga camp, this is the kind of stuff we do. And nothing wrong with a week at yoga camp. I could probably use a week at yoga camp right now. Uh, but anyway, um, but actually for me, where this material really sits in its core is in a recognition of the difficulties and challenges of life, the suffering that is in life often, uh, and that everyone faces some of the time and 
many people face all of the time. So actually, the harder a person a person's life, the worse it is, the more that they're still carrying around the, the impact of how their life is banged on them, uh, the, the more they're mistreated each day, the less they're supported by institutions and society, etc., the more they're uh, harmed or attacked by society, the more important it is to develop inner resources of various kinds. Actually, if you think about it, it's more important. And so for me, there is something fundamentally scruffy and <laughs> determined in at the heart of this practice that says, you out there, whatever out there, you may have my body, you may have the halls of power, you, you may this and that, but you never get my mind. You never get the core of my being, the innermost sanctuary of my temple inside myself. That's where I live, that's where I will steward and guard and protect, and that's where I will cultivate and train. And... Um, so I think there's, that for me, that, that speaks to it. And then, then we find our own way about that, right? Uh, and sometimes the, the most we can do in the moment is just live through the next minute or second. And, but eventually, we start to find some kind of footing, and then we can move from there. And so for me, this, this, this framing is very respectful and grounded in self-reliance, in a sense, and kind of old school values, if you will, of autonomy, self-respect, and doing what we can in each moment. Apparently, there's a saying in Tibet, if you take care of the minutes, the years will take care of themselves. The years are tough, but the minutes, we could do something about. You know what I mean? And so there's the, the, the quality of that. Uh, I'm just thinking of a quotation a lot recently uh, that I come back to again and again. It goes like this. Um, it's from Buddhist teaching. Uh, whoops. What happened to my slide set? I'll get back to it in a second. Bear with me. All right. Good. All right. Train yourself in doing good that lasts and brings happiness. Train yourself in doing good that lasts and brings happiness. Wow. Cultivate generosity, a life of peace, the life of peace, and a mind of boundless love. Whoa. Kind of summarizes a lot right there. Train yourself in doing good that lasts and brings happiness. Cultivate generosity, the life of peace, and a mind of boundless love. So to me that's very much at the heart of things. And then just finishing here, uh, uh, related to what you brought up and also just in general, I'm a certain kind of person. I'm going to present in a certain kind of way. It's really partial. There are many other truths. There are many other ways to talk about this. There are many other teachings. There are many other voices, many other perspectives. I'm going to leave some out. It's really poignant. You, you can't not leave things out, but you can include that you're going to leave things out. <laughs> in, a, in effect, not, a, not to be glib, but to be really respectful about something that's really quite poignant. And so I just want to say that as well, and I invite other people in this room to kind of um, you know, bring other voices in, other perspectives uh, on this material, and I just want to kind of acknowledge up front the partiality and... and in many ways, the privilege from which I'm speaking. Okay? Okay.
Thanks a lot. Yeah. And I'm really happy to talk with people more, including resources I know about. All right, maybe one more person, then we'll move on. Okay, great. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. So once I'm on the road, I'm on the road, and, and uh, that, that is not as difficult as the anchoring moment. In other words, something happens, you want to get your mind immediately uh, free enough to go down a different road. Mm. So I'm curious about the anchoring, the initial anchoring moment. The, the initial moment when you're, when you're yeah. triggered, you mean? You, right. Yeah. You have a trigger, yep. and immediately you see, this is not going to go to a good place. I want to turn myself around. So do you have any particular anchoring techniques to get yeah. your mind I do. going off in a different direction? Yeah, that's good. Okay, so um, <clears throat> to, before I answer your question, uh, I'll, I'll say a, a general thing, which is training uh, offstage or off the field, it really, really helps so that when you're on the field, as it were, and the oatmeal's really hitting the fan in that moment, then you've cultivated traits over time that uh, you can really draw on increasingly. So that's that, right? Uh, when we're triggered, a lot of practices, uh, I have like my, because uh, I of course have a list for everything, uh, I have my four-point plan for this, and uh, my kids tease me, oh, Dad, what's your 4 by 12 matrix on this one? But anyway, <laughs> so, uh, so for me, the first thing is notice that you're upset. That's half of it right there. Whoa, this is intense. Triggered, swept plugged in, pick your, pick your word or no word at all, like, ah, you know, it's like those Garfield pictures or something, you know, like the cat with its claw in the socket, ah, right, triggered. Second thing is to mobilize some warm-heartedness for yourself. Ouch, this hurts, I don't like it, I'm suffering, ooh, ooh, it doesn't have to be perfect, you know, it's okay if it feels like poor me in the moment, where we start, no worries. Uh, 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 I wish it didn't feel like this. Uh, something warmth, you know. And by the way, what I'm talking about could just take a handful of seconds. These kind of four things I do. It's like my first aid kit. I just noticed this is what I do, so I'm offering it. Third, mobilize some feeling of being on your own side. It's more muscular. It has a sense of, it's kind of like, boom, knocked down in the mud. Whoa, I'm in the mud. That's where we start. Wow, I'm in the mud. Uh, then, like, a kind of warmth or kindness or supportiveness toward oneself, right? Just it feels emotional. And then a kind of, hmm, I want to get out of the mud, right? Like a, hmm, something muscular. A lot of people lack that muscular stance of being on their own side. Long-term therapist. I've seen often that that's actually where we have to start, being on your side, being for yourself. People are for others, but they're often not actually for themselves. And there's a place for me in this kind of muscular or willed or, you know, movement. And then the third, fourth rather, is to start making a plan. What am I going to do about it? Mobilizing a coping response. Coping is important. Adapting, coping, dealing, acting, engaging. You know, not just being dead in the water. Maybe all you can do is cope inside your mind. Okay, but at least inside our minds, 
in our by mind I don't mean intellect I mean the totality of consciousness we're we're doing what we can we're we're moving forward uh, action binds anxiety the more that we feel like we're we're making a plan and maybe our plan is to make a plan item number one on the plan make a plan. <laughs> You know what I mean? I'd rather have a bad plan than no plan. Because at least if I have a bad plan, I can discover fairly quickly it's a bad plan and start making a better plan. Uh, so those for me, that's kind of what I do. And it tends to happen fairly quickly. Uh, with training, it can happen faster and faster. Uh, I'll say two more things really fast. Um, in terms of our own biology, actually I'll say three things. That Mother Nature doesn't want her little critters to hang out in the red zone. As Robert Sapolsky put it, he wrote a beautiful book about stress with a great title, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers. It says, most episodes of stress in the wild end quickly, one way or another. <laughs> right? So um, we're not designed to just hang out in, in chronic stress, which includes upset, exasperation, frustration, pressure, uh, anxiety, hurt, or loneliness. Loneliness uh, has as much uh, healthcare, uh, long-term health consequences. Chronic loneliness, distinct from solitude, the feelings of loneliness, as smoking half a pack of cigarettes a day. Think about that. Chronic loneliness adds as much disease burden, roughly, as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, on average to be able. Whoa. So we're not designed to hang out there. So three things can pull us out of spikes of red zone uh, reactivation that we've gotten trapped in. One is looking for anything that helps you feel safer. We're going to do this in a meditation in a moment. Anything that helps you feel safer, just that's rational, that's real, that's authentic. Sense of protection, sense of resources around you, noticing you're still alive in the moment, feeling safer, primal need. Second, wholesome pleasure of any kind. Eat the cookie. Baby, it's gluten-free, but eat the cookie. <laughs> Drink the water, rub your face, pet your cat, oh, put on a sweater if you're chilled. Pleasure brings us out of red zone spikes of stress. Wholesome pleasure. Uh, and last, connection. I call it hug the monkey. Uh, look for, you know, bring to mind beings you care about, beings who care about you. Remember your, your pets. Uh, perhaps a feeling of connectedness with everything. Any kind of, you know, relational experience tends to also calm us down out of stress. Not calling up someone who will rev you up about the resentments you're obsessing about. No. Someone helps you feel good. Okay, that's so got those three, right? Safety, pleasure, relationship. Those are go-tos designed by Mother Nature to kind of bring us back down, back to the green zone, as it were. Okay, enough yakety-yak. Let's do some practice, okay? My yakety-yak. Yeah. All right, so some factors for steadying the mind. In a moment, I'd like to go through a little meditation with you. Uh, we'll take a break pretty soon, probably in about half an hour or so. And um, in this meditation, we'll explore five neurologically plausible uh, things that help steady the mind. Uh, after the meditation, I'll explain them a little bit, and then that'll be a nice segue into uh, exploring how the mind and the brain work together and how uh, understanding something of their connections uh, and how the nervous system and the body generally works, uh, we can actually use that understanding as skillful means to guide our practice uh, and enhance it.
Okay. So in terms of that, we're going to do a meditation, and then in the meditation, I will name these five factors. Uh, this will not be a practice of simply open, choiceless awareness. We're actually going to be doing some things in the mind. I'll say as little as possible, but I'll, I'll need to give some guidance here as we explore these five things. And then... Um, uh, then I'll invite you to focus on something for five minutes in a row steadily and see what that's like. You can use your breath as an object of attention. Uh, For many people, the breath is not a good object of attention, especially if they have a painful or traumatic history because it can be alarming to focus on the body or the breath. So always adapt my suggestions to your own needs uh, and really, really do what's good for you. I'd like to mention again that these slides will be available to you if you want. Just give me your name and email address. I won't share it with anybody except people that work with me. And um, as a detail, unless you say just slides, I'll subscribe you to my weekly free practice newsletter called Just One Thing. It's a practice each week. You can always unsubscribe from it. I don't like receiving emails I don't want. I don't want to send emails that people don't want. And if you're already getting that newsletter, don't worry, you won't get it twice. Okay, see how that works. So the point is, you can go back and review this material later if you want. No worries. Uh, Meditating is actually pretty simple for a few seconds in a row. (laughs) Where it gets interesting (laughs) is sustaining and coming back and sustaining and steadying. I think it's pretty clear what's up here. Okay, how many of you do something contemplative, which might include prayer, a minute or more a month? Good, you're good to go. You're all set. So, low bar, no more personal questions. You're good to go. Okay, you all set? All right, so let's just kind of land here. Come home. Eyes open or closed. Sitting or standing, walking or lying down. The aim of this practice is to cultivate a stability of presence, of present moment awareness. So that's kind of what we're aiming at. It can help to be aware of your body if, if that's okay for you. If not, find something else that is sort of positive or wholesome or simple to rest attention on. Perhaps simply the uh, shape of the floor in front of you the patterns in it. Maybe just looking out the window, the trees, whatever works for you. Uh, We're establishing a stability of awareness through which things pass. We're letting them pass. We're not trying to stop things from moving through awareness. We're just kind of stabilizing ourselves in the present, in the now, as things move through awareness. It's really fine along the way to periodically and gently kind of settle into or encourage wholesome, beneficial states of being like a growing sense of quieting or peacefulness, well-being.
as we encourage a growing steadiness of mind, stability of presence, we also notice what happens, how it works or not. We notice what gets in the way. We also notice what helps. We learn, we cultivate. We, we gain from our practices by learning about our own minds and becoming more skillful with them. I'm going to offer five suggestions, a minute or so each. The first being intend to steady your mind, both top down by being deliberate with yourself and also bottom up in the sense of giving yourself over to what it would feel like already to be stably centered and present. The second suggestion as a factor of steadiness is easing the body. Without forcing anything, finding a posture that helps you be comfortable and alert. Letting breathing ease and slow perhaps. Allowing a tranquility to develop in the body. Perhaps deliberately relaxing certain parts of your body like your jaw, your eyes. The belly.
The third suggestion is warming the heart. Not getting into complicated stories or movies, simply finding a a warmth. It it can help to bring to mind beings, perhaps a pet that you like, perhaps love. might feel your own natural kindness or friendliness, just your good-heartedness. You can also get a sense, if it works for you, of feeling cared about, feeling included, loved. <coughs> Using these prompts to get into a nonverbal, felt sense of warm-heartedness. Finding what works for you to open and warm the heart. You might have a sense of a lovingness flowing in you and out of you. Perhaps a sense of lovingness breathing into and out through the heart. The fourth suggestion is to help yourself feel as safe as you can. And I don't mean pushing yourself to feel safer than you actually feel. I mean simply letting go of unnecessary anxiety now. Releasing worries in this moment that are not productive. Being aware of any gross or subtle guarding or bracing in your body. And seeing if you can help yourself feel now, now, that you're basically all right. Recognizing you can be alert, you can be strong, you can deal with things, while simultaneously not burdening burdening yourself with unnecessary tension, uneasiness, anxiety. Helping yourself feel as safe as you can and exploring this. It's interesting. Sometimes we get nervous about not feeling safe. or In other words, yeah, we get nervous about feeling safe. Like, oh, I might get hurt then. And actually notice that you can relax and let go of unnecessary anxiety. 
which will help steady your mind. You might find that there's a place where you feel both strong and at peace. And the last suggestion is to encourage positive emotion, not forcing it, more of an opening to perhaps gratitude, simple feeling of sweetness. Perhaps an enjoyable sense of peacefulness deliberately turning toward and encouraging positive emotion, but maybe even something intensely happy or joyful, even blissful, not forcing it around the positive emotion, maybe other things like sadness or some depressed mood, and still in the foreground of awareness there can be a feeling of things that are emotionally positive. Including perhaps love itself. And now, 
on the basis of whatever steadiness of mind has been cultivated here, pick an object of attention, such as the sensations of breathing, and help yourself remain steadily absorbed in this object of attention for the next five minutes. See what that's like to stay with it for five minutes in a row as best you can. If your mind wanders, bring it back for the next five minutes.
five minutes can sometimes seem very long or very short, uh, or neither. Uh, let's take a break now. Uh, I, if you like, uh, just keep meditating. Uh, if, you know, it can be helpful to protect your steadiness of mind. Uh, please come back at uh, 11.30, so that's 18 minutes from now. See you at 11.30. Take care. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.